Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we do have a, uh, an audio pres- a PowerPoint presentation with audio. Uh, there's just a few comments I'd like to make before we watch that. And that is to thank you all for coming today. Some people have come a long way, had an early start this morning. So we thank you for your efforts in that sense. We appreciate your presence in coming together to celebrate God and his faithfulness and also celebrate a church that's got a heart for mission. And um, we want to thank all those who've prayed for us and encouraged us and supported us. And here we have today a number of folks who were formerly members of Rochdale and uh, Baptist and uh, we appreciated your part in our journey at that particular time as well. So we want to thank you for that. I want to thank the Global Mission team who um, over the years, um, a number of mem- many different members have been part of that, but you've been there for us, you've adv- advocated for us and you've rep- represented us to the congregation and we thank you for that. Those in uh, video and media who over the years have helped us with our PowerPoints and uh, videos and things like that. We want to acknowledge our mission WEC, uh, 50 years with one organisation. It's been a wonderful journey, one we've enjoyed greatly and one in which we've been enriched by the lives of our colleagues. Um, I want to thank the Sudanese and Congolese friends of ours who've um, 13 years ago welcomed me into their ministry and to have a part in that ministry and to be able to contribute just once a few small little grains of seed into that ministry. I thank you for your welcome, for your love and everything. And I thank the New Heart family and the presentation will also include our thanks to the New Heart family for your love and generous support and sacrifice and all that. And uh, thank you to Colin Tuathui for helping me to fine-tune the PowerPoint and the audio. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thanks, George. My journey and missions began in a small church in Fortitude Valley one Sunday evening in 1965. At the end of a missions weekend, I walked to the front to surrender my life fully to Jesus for whatever he wanted me to do. I sang, All to Jesus I Surrender, and I really meant it. I was working at Customs House in the city. I planned to do further studies and head down to Canberra for a career in the Commonwealth Public Service. But God had been shaking up my world. The commitment I made that evening changed the direction of my life from then on. I sensed his call into missions. The day I left Customs House for the last time to go into missions training, a statement by Jim Elliott, who was one of five young missionaries who were killed on a jungle beach in Ecuador just a decade before, resonated in my mind and heart. He wrote, He is no fool who gives or gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The most important thing for me was God's approval on my life as I obeyed him. Five years after that church service, I farewelled family and lots of friends at Brisbane Airport and boarded a Qantas flight to Europe to learn French before travelling on to Ivory Coast, West Africa, in January 1972. 
There I use my French to share the stories and good news of Jesus in primary schools, engage with youth, and set about learning the local Jula language. I was just a child when I believed God wanted me to be a missionary. So by the time I was 25, and with a plane ticket in hand, I was eager and ready to get going. Then, just before departing, I got an infection following some dental treatment. It was so serious that it looked as if the door to missions in Africa was closed. Yet in my heart, I still believed that God had called me to Ivory Coast and that he would still make it possible. The Lord spoke to me through Acts 27 and 25, Paul's words, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. During these difficult years, Short and I were corresponding by snail mail and impossible as it looked at that time, we still believed that God wanted us to serve him together in Ivory Coast. So in September 75, I was waiting at Sydney Airport when Shaw returned to Australia after an absence of over five years. Three months later, we married. We managed to squeeze in a short honeymoon before WEC needed us back in Sydney to run a training course for new workers, starting early in the new year. I guess we thought we'd be in Sydney for one or two years, but three years passed, four, and it was another five years before my health had improved sufficiently to allow us to return to Ivory Coast as a family with Michelle, then a baby. In all, I waited nine years for God to open the door. But during that time, God taught us some valuable lessons. We learnt that waiting time is not wasted time. God was refining us, and God taught us deeper lessons of faith and trusting him that we would need for the challenges that lay ahead. We were also working alongside leaders whose prayer life, faith, and leadership gifts impacted our lives. And we saw too that God has a plan and a program. We knew what God wanted us to do, but sometimes we need to know when he wants us to do it. We can't fast forward God's clock. He sometimes keeps us waiting, but the timing is perfect. And his timing for us was perfect. In July 1981, God opened the way for us to return to Ivory Coast. Two weeks after we arrived in Abidjan, where Anne was to learn French at the uni, there was a knock at the door. Standing there were some delegates from the WEC-related National Church. We want to start churches here in the city of Abidjan, the then capital. Will you help us? All WEC ministry in Ivory Coast up to then had been based in rural areas. Church planting in the city had never crossed our minds, but God started opening our eyes to the needs, challenges and opportunities of that city of two and a half million inhabitants. 
there weren't many evangelical groups working in the city at that time. We saw God's timing again in this unexpected call and this open door for us. Our beginnings were small and unimpressive. The first church was started in a classroom with just six people. It grew quickly as others whose origins were with our national church joined us. The second church was in a shanty town. We saw God's timing also in the release in 1983 of the Jesus film in French, a great tool for evangelism. Campus for Christ were coordinating a His Life Abidjan campaign across the city using the film. Prayer around the world was being focused on Abidjan. We joined in. We loaded up our station wagon with projector and outdoor screen, sound equipment and generator and screened the film in various locations across the city to 17,000 people with our three-year-old strawberry blonde Michelle having fun watching it all from the top of the car. One Saturday evening, we screened it just a few hundred yards from our house. People stood for two hours in the open air to watch. The next morning, we started our third church in our house and garage. Present that day were two teenagers, Louis and Antoine, who'd made a commitment to Jesus the night before. They became strong disciples, accomplished musicians, and trained as cell group leaders. Over the years, these two young men led nine members of their family to Christ, including their mother. Lewis is now in his mid-50s. He and his wife are leaders in their local church. He recently found us on Facebook and wrote to us. Thank you for the seeds of faith in Christ that you planted in us. By the grace of God, we are still on the pathway to heaven. With God's help, the challenges of life have not been able to shake us. More than 10 of our young people from that era have been serving the Lord for more than 30 years as pastors throughout the country or evangelists with Campus for Christ, helping to translate the Jesus film into 50 languages, reaching uni students, the police and the military with the gospel. In God's timing again, that congregation moved from our garage to a new church building in a new housing estate called Nyangon in 1990, just as we moved inland to take on branch leadership. We've always had a special place in our hearts for that church. Earlier this month, we received unexpectedly a letter from Pastor Alangbe Pascal, a former president of the National Church and now senior pastor of the Nyangon congregation. He shared some very kind sentiments as he reminisced on what our ministry, encouragement and counsel had meant to him over the years. He wrote, When I commenced the pastoral ministry, I was young. I encountered difficulties, was often discouraged and ready to give up. But you were there for me to give me advice. Today, the young pastors come to me for counsel on how to better accomplish pastoral ministry. Over the years, the Nyongon Church has started six new congregations on its side of the city. Despite that, Pastor Pascal writes of the Nyongon Church. By the grace of God, we now reach 400 believers in our Sunday services. As the church building has become too small, we are in the process of extending it. He also took time to tell us about the wider ministry in Abidjan. We rejoice in what God has done. 
They now have 30 congregations in the city and its outskirts. Just six of them have their own land and building. The remainder are in rented premises. These churches are served by 14 trained pastors, some with tertiary degrees in Bible and ministry. Abidjan churches have planted new congregations in three significant towns that are 50 to 100 kilometres away from the city. Abidjan churches contribute a lot in terms of human resources, leadership and finances to the wider National Church Association. We said that in the 1980s, Abidjan had a population of 2.5 million people. Today, that has risen to 5 million inhabitants, double what it was in our day. That is why Pastor Pascal highlights the fact that a lot remains to be done there for God's kingdom. We sowed a few grains of seed. Our African colleagues watered them with prayer and hard work and scattered more seeds. God has graciously given the growth. We laid a small foundation and our African friends have built on it, greatly enlarged it by their passion for Jesus and their commitment to church planting. We salute them. Our time in Abidjan ended rather suddenly. We received news that our Ivory Coast team leaders on furlough were not returning. As we'd been the interim leaders during their absence, the team now asked us to become their new leaders. Our first reaction was, no way. Our hearts were in urban church planting and we believed there was more for us to do there. However, while we were at an international WEC conference, a colleague spoke of a picture she'd been given while praying for someone. In this picture, she saw a closed hand and then saw God slowly unclench one finger at a time to reveal a walnut inside. The message was clear. God spoke to us and reminded us that we needed to hold everything, even our urban ministry, in an open palm before him. Let him take it or leave it, according to his will. We knew that God was asking us to lay down this ministry in Abidjan and to serve our team of 50-plus workers scattered throughout the country. We had a great team and they were memorable years. One evening, while we were enjoying a meal with our Africa area directors, they suddenly said, we're about ready to retire and we've been given some thought to our successors and we feel you should be the one to oversee the WEC teams in 11 countries across West and Central Africa. Well, we quickly lost our appetite for that good meal. But after a lot of prayer, we accepted the new challenge. So off we went on our travels across Africa. And travel we did for the next 12 years. During that time, we mentored and trained branch leaders, organised Africa-wide conferences for leaders. We pastored teams and helped them during wars, crises and evacuations, and so much more. It was a privilege to support our teams who were taking the gospel, often in very isolated areas, to the unreached peoples of the Sahel, most of them Muslim peoples. And it was also a real joy to see small groups of Muslim background believers emerging. I'll never forget the words of one of those Muslim background believers in Chad, who was severely persecuted when she decided to follow Jesus. Her response to persecution was, you can beat me all you like, you can take all I've got, but you can't take Jesus. He's alive in my heart. 
Africa area leadership involved a lot of travel by all available means, from large airliners to overcrowded bush taxis and even canoes. For family reasons, we were travelling back and forth from Australia for several years and found there were no discount fares to or within Africa. We thank you, our church family, for contributing so generously to our support and costly travel during those years. We could not have done it without you. After laying down the Africa area role, we enjoyed training a new generation of cross-cultural workers at Worldview College in Tasmania for six years. And since 2009, I've been involved in two African congregations in Brisbane, one Sudanese and one Congolese, particularly in the mentoring of emerging leaders. My current mentees, Louis Kalala, is here today and Johanna Maring is watching on Zoom from Adelaide. I've loved the time spent with them and leaders from both those congregations are with us today. Several years ago, the international director of WEC at the time offered me what he said was the best job in WEC. How could I say no to that? He meant managing our global contingency and care fund known as the IFF, providing financial assistance to colleagues who face a crisis or acute need anywhere in the world at any time. I thank the Lord that during my years as global manager of the IFF, we've given assistance amounting to exactly 500,000 Australian dollars. That's half a million dollars, assisting hundreds of our members and their families. It has been a joy to be part of that. Most of these funds were from voluntary contributions by WEC members around the world. On Thursday of this week, I will lay down my final role with WEC. On the 30th of April, shortly after our WEC Australia annual conference, we will formally retire from the mission. Today we want to thank the Lord for all his goodness and his faithfulness to us during this journey in missions, for enabling us in ministry and in our personal lives, for sustaining us through some very long separations, both as a couple and as a family, when Michelle was away at Missionary Children's School. We thank him for answered prayer when Michelle's life was at risk with cerebral malaria and during my own six-year cancer journey. We thank God too for his grace extended to us in our moments of weakness and failure. We thank you, our church family, for journeying with us since 1985. 37 years. Your love, affirmation, encouragement, prayer and sacrificial support have been amazing. Words fail us to adequately express the depth of gratitude that we feel. From deep down in our hearts we say to you, thank you and may the Lord himself reward you. Jordan, Anne, that was just beautiful. And thank you so much for putting all that together. Just an incredible journey. But it's not over yet, all right? It's not over yet. There's more to come as you continue to mentor and sow into the lives of many people. We just thank you and honour you today. Thank you. John and Betty, would you like to both join me up the front?
Yeah, please put your hands together for them. We're going to get to hear from both of you today. And I have to say, it is a joy and delight to have both of you here today. We've been talking for quite some time about your possibility of coming mm. back. And today is a <coughs> momentous day. It really is. I have to say, I just wanted just in my own expression to be able to say thank you and honour both of you. But I have to say, one of the things that really has stood out to me as I've led up to this today, the thing God's put on my heart, we mentioned about, you know, often the guys, okay? You know, being the ones out front and doing everything. Betty and Anne, the testament is to them the power of a praying wife, okay? The power of a praying woman who is fervently on her knees and doesn't give up. We just heard that in terms of nine years having to wait for the fulfilment of God's promise. You've got many experiences of having to wait but seeing God faithful in it and your faithfulness of both of you stands firm and stands strong and is a wonderful testament to us. Thank you. Mm. <coughs> I'll put our clock here so we um, don't go over. One Just of us Betty can talk. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Am I on? Yep, good, good. All right, uh, we have finally made it. We've been planning this for quite a long time and COVID has um, interrupted those plans numerous times and, and, but finally we're here. And it's an opportunity to say um, a huge thank you that uh, as Sean said before it, it's just very very hard to put into words um, this was us uh, in January 95 75 75 <laughs> that's why gee we're a good team uh, yeah and uh, we had uh, some yeah it does and we had um, an old lady, Mrs. Crawford, Effie Crawford, some of you might remember her, uh, knock on our door. We just moved into a, a, our new uh, house in Underwood and um, she said, hello, my name's Effie, um, Effie Crawford. Oh, she did. <laughs> and, and, and then she said, I go to the Baptist church, would you like to come with me? And I said to her, Effie, we have... We're looking for a new church. We just moved into the area, as you know. We're just married. And yeah, we'll come. So um, anyway, we turned up and got a wonderfully warm reception. And that's how we, st we started here. And uh, yeah, that was us way back three weeks after that photo was taken. Now, now, some of you, if there's anyone here thinking of getting married, I just want to mention, I think, I think those suits are going to make a comeback. <laughs> They haven't for 45 years, but I think it's just around the corner. <laughs> okay, this is you. Yep. yep, this is me. Is this on? Yep. Some of you that are here this morning will recognise your faces there. This was our farewell from the Brisbane airport back in 1980. Um, an incredibly emotional time and um, 
as you know, as we have started to get together and think about what we're going to say, and for the first time, for a long time, we've had a lot of time to reflect and to think and putting this together. And the number of people from this... I've got my hanky. <laughs> and I am happy. And, you know, there are that song, A Thousand Hallelujahs, they are all to the Lord. But this is a very emotion, has been a very emotional journey for me. So many people. And we can't mention all your names. We thought, well, we start mentioning names and we can't. Because there's it, just too many. This church has been a mainstay for us. It's held me through some really tough times, held me in prayer, held me um, emotionally. I tend to be a little bit emotional. <laughs> and, and knowing, <laughs> knowing, knowing that we have the body, the family of Christ behind us in this whole journey has been absolutely amazing. We left here. Have I got time? Sure. We left here. Um, and this was before the days of uh, the internet. So very little was known about Indonesia except what was in encyclopedias. And so for me, it was a very fearful step. Very fearful. I had two little girls that were prone to um, chest infections. Didn't know at that point they had asthma. And... And it was just very uh, difficult step, but a step I knew that I had to take, that this was what God had for me, let alone for us. But John, you know, had his own journey there. And so we went with our two girls at that point, twins, identical twins, Naomi and Anita. And the youth group of this church were just one, like the church as a whole was a mainstay for me, the youth group for our girls was brilliant. Every time they went, the youth group was there supporting and encouraging them and saying, telling them they're, they're being prayed for, that they're loved. When they came back, remember they're living in two cultures, our girls were, and there are a lot of adjustments to be made each time going back and coming, then coming back here. But the youth group took them in, loved them, cared from as if they'd never been away and they had very, very close ties. In fact, yeah, there's some here this yeah. morning. Yeah. And so that was very precious and very important. And then many years later, our dear little Matthew came and as you can see, he was, uh, he too was growing up in two cultures, but he was a lot younger um, at that point, obviously. And he, uh, yeah, we came, that was put on Facebook, that bottom one. And uh, that was a Bible study group when we came back and all the little kids that were around at that point. Yeah. And some of those people are here. Yep. Yep. Okay. Just some of the ways that the the church looked after us. um, Absolutely, wonderfully, financially. Mm. uh, And very, very faithful. Over 40-something years that's gone on. Um, Prayer... You're going to talk more about that, aren't you? Prayer letters. We just think about the old prayer letter thing where we used to post a, a letter off. It would take two to three months to get Snail here. Snail mail. And then um, uh, a couple would take it, would type it up, print it out, um, send it out to oh, hundreds of people, pay for all those stamps. It's just, mm. just amazing the, 
the uh, work involved in that. Visits, we had, we've got people here that have visited us in Indonesia. Looking after a house for us while renters, that was a big job. Um, every time we went or came back, the amount of work the church did in preparing our houses and, and have, making sure, painting it. Our house. Our house, not houses. I wish we had houses, but we <laughs> just had one. Um, yeah, but just looking after us in so many practical ways. And as we've recalled many of those, those times, they're just so numerous, mm. aren't they? Mm. And so many people loved us up incredibly. In the area of prayer, again, I'm a big proponent of prayer. Um, what God has, what you will see what God has done through, we're very ordinary people. Very, very ordinary. There's nothing special about us, but what God has done just points to how special, how incredible our God is. And, and the prayer that when you even know, like now, we have folks on, in different fields that, um, you know, they can tell us when they're on a boat or on a trip to who knows where, and you can be praying right in the moment for them while they're on that. But back in that day... There was none of that. When you left the shores of Australia, you, there was cut off except for the snail mail. And so that was usually three weeks to, to get it here, for it to get here, mm. and then three weeks by the time um, they got your reply. But there were people here in this church, our home church, that prayed so incredibly faithfully. There were people that, even though they didn't have a clue what was going on at the time, they'd tell us after we came back and they'd say, you know, what was going on here and what was going on at this time? And there often there were major, major things going on in our ministry, in our lives, and they didn't know what they were praying for specifically, but God had prompted them to pray. You have no idea how that helps you to not feel so alone in the journey. Mm. Well, the, uh, in 90, 92, the end of 92, we said by, goodbye to another church, and that was the church that had been planted in Leelid, and we moved out, like, like Short and Anne, um, moved on to another ministry in Indonesia, which was uh, field leadership. And so that's us departing from uh, the church in, in Leelid. You can see Matthew just up in the... Little blonde-headed guy there. With the guy in the green hat. Yeah. Yep. So uh, a lot of you, I think, have read the book, uh, The Tagutil. Uh, if you haven't, there's some out there. If you haven't, I think they're selling them for $10, but if you haven't got any money, just say, John said, just give <laughs> Just take one. So, um, yeah, just take one. Um, so where are they now? And the amazing thing, and this blows us away, is here these people were in the jungle. Remember they looked like this? When we went in there, talk about blow our minds, this is how they lived. And, uh, uh, and, and to think where they are now. But Betty got this invite on Facebook from one of the little girls that she named. And, 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 and we thought, what's going on here? And now they've, they've put a tower in there last year, so they've got communication and they've all got smartphones, and they're all on Facebook. <laughs> the Bible is going on their, on their, uh, on their phones, and, um, and so things have certainly changed. This is Umbran. Uh, as a little boy, when we first moved in, in there, 
a little fella. And uh, they, of course, they, none of them knew of the Lord at that point. They were animists. And uh, his mum became one of my closest friends in there. And now on the other side is Amran now. He's a school teacher. These people, the Tugutil people, could not speak Indonesian. They had their own language, which was very different to Indonesian. And so this young fellow went out, not being able to speak Indonesian, went out to an Indonesian to learn... High school. High school. He learned Indonesian with another friend that went out with him at that time. And then he went on to do teaching. And he's now teaching the primary school level in, in Lili. You know, that is just... And, and the a wonderful, wonderful thing about that is that it's so difficult. The, the Indonesian government tried to get people into these remote areas. Some of them are very, very hard areas to live in and uh, very isolated. They don't want to take their families there and so they have trouble getting teachers into these areas. Well, uh, this little guy who was called... Uh, they named him America after Keith. They called Keith America. They called us Australia or Sitalari. Sitalari was In fact, Australia. that was the little fellow, well, the fellow that he went out yeah, with as a Sitalari. Yeah, so America and, Sit and Sitalari went out to high school, still monolingual, and, and quickly learned Bahasa Indonesia, and now, look at him, he's, a, he's got a degree and he's a head teacher of the primary school. Can I just slip in there? His mum was, um, she had nine kids in all, and... Uh, she wasn't the greatest of mums, um, but all those kids survived and all of those kids now love the Lord. Mm. And our leaders in the church, mm. Mm. as he is. Um, the, the, the ministry of church planting goes on. They've, they've, they have um, uh, these, what they call uh, evangelistic posts, post Pengenjilan, and uh, the, the guy in the red shirt... Is a fellow called Abri, and he he is a wonderful, wonderful uh, servant of God. He's there. The guy on the on the right is is a uh, fellow. That's his house. That's where he lives, up in the jungle. And Abri uh, goes up there and uh, shares with him, teaches him through the Bible. And uh, the the other guy in the green is another tribal guy. And this fellow went up with Abri, but there. So the ministry goes on and they've got these little church plants all over the place. They've planted other churches and uh, it's, it's such a joy to see what God is doing in there. This is a group... Uh, all these photos were taken off Facebook from the people sending them to so us. So this has all just well, happened in the yeah. last couple of months that we've gotten these... It's like we've gone back in there, actually. Oh, it's, just it's just wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is, this is one of the ladies' group that's going on in Lili. And when I look at that group, I just stand absolutely astounded at what God has done. These people, their strongest taboo, which we didn't know about at the time we moved in there, and thankfully we didn't, um, and we only found out a year before we were ready to start teaching, was against Christianity. And they would kill anyone who, try, they, who tried to... Um, impose Christianity or bring Christianity to them. And now here we were and God had kept us alive. Hence the prayers, the, 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 how vital, vital prayer is. God protected us so many times. When Just prior to us um, being ready to teach them, it took us five years to learn their language and, and get the lessons ready in their language to start teaching. Um, we, that's when we found out about this taboo that they had. And they had actually killed... Um, 
a family that had come down, for an Indonesian family that had come down about five years earlier to us moving in there because they uh, had been told that they needed to join the Christian church then at that time. And so we were thinking as a team, my goodness, this is not going to happen. We are not going to be able to share the gospel with them. They're going to close us down. They're going to kick us out. They're not going to want us. But again, God knew we were, we were you know, really struggling with the fact that it had taken us so long, five years. And I might just add that we were concerned what everybody back here would think. And when we mentioned it, they said, so many said, that never even entered our heads that it was too long. You just do, you know, it takes as long as it takes. So then... I'm doing most of the talking now. You are, Dal. Okay. But this, so each of us, each of us on the team had to come to that point of working through, okay, what if? What if it means that we do not get to present the gospel? What if it means that these people that we've gone to love would not respond? And God had to deal with each one of us individually on the team say, yeah, what if? This is my work. I will do what I will do. Trust me. Mm. And so that's what we did. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of that story, which Betty won't tell now, um, <laughs> you can read about it in the book. <laughs> so, so make sure you get a book. Okay. Um, this, is, this is the older people of the church now trying on glasses. Because they now have the New Testament in Bahasa, Bahasa Tobelo, mm. their dialect of it. And 28% um, of the Old Testament is in one volume. But because there's so much in one volume, the print's small and, and the old people can't read it. So, so a Baptist church in Monado sent in a great big box of glasses and they're all there trying on the, <laughs> the glasses and... Uh, and, and so they can read the Bible. And, uh, and the, 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 they're in the process at the moment of trying to get it to, uh, on audio, and then they can have it on their phones. But boy, things have changed. Um, this is the... Uh, this was just happened a few months ago in Lili. The two old guys on the left are the two original el elders of the church, Perus and... Um, Taonu. The really grey-haired one is the father of little Umbram. Yeah. And on the right-hand side, you can see some of the younger leaders who are coming up. And, and, uh, and so this is part of the youth group getting, getting uh, baptised. Now, this is the daughter of the young girl that um, started Facebooking me and, and um, sending me messages. This is her, one of her daughters, and she has just finished the equivalent of year 12, and um, she's wanting to go away to um, further education, get no, further... she finished 10. Oh, she finished 10. Yeah, she, that's right. She's going to need to go to grade 12. 12 but it? that's not in Lily. So that's what... Um, they're wanting to get these kids out to uh, where there is a high school, the ones that want to get further education. Now, that's a challenge for them, a very real challenge. They were sending them all the way to Monado, and they were boarding with people and... That has not turned out well, especially for their girls who have been abused and then the boys that have been prone, not all, but some of them to go a bit wild. And so they're now looking at buying land. These are semi-nomadic tribal people 40 years ago and the change is just radical. Um, and so they're looking to buy land out 
um, on another part of the island where we were first based when we first moved over there to um, buy land and then build dormitories out there. And then they're going to man those dormitories with their own people. So, mm. so the so care is the, kids. the care is done well. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's been very a real worry for them, mm. and uh, the Lord's provided money for land, and now uh, we've got this project to try and get them, help them a little bit with uh, money for a couple of houses for the boys and girls, so they can keep an eye on them. Um, this is just part of a small group from a place in Manado, a training school for Indonesian missionaries, who a great big bunch of them and their wives all came in to Lili and did their nine-week practicum on learning another language and how to learn a, a, a language because there are so many language groups in Indonesia. In, in our province alone, or the province was Maluku, it's now divided into two, there's 171 languages. And... Um, and, you know, I've been talking to people about that and, and they were telling me that there's areas where the, the language, they don't use Bahasa Indonesia in the, in the homes and they can't get school teachers in there so they, the kids go to Islamic uh, academies or madrasas, uh, many of them which are pretty radical. And so the need to get the gospel into these areas is so urgent. And these young guys are learning... How, how to learn a language and they're doing their practicum in with, with Lili. So Lili is not only reaching out itself, but it's helping these guys learn how to do it. And, and um, so a lot of training going on. But, you know, it, it just reminds me of, of the, what we've been doing since we came back and that was training other people. And we've seen some of those young men and women now go to Central Asia to Southeast Asia, to Africa, and to South America. Um, and we've had a part in their lives, and that's been such a privilege to be able to do that. But uh, these guys, we, we saw on Facebook some of their responses to being in there and how they loved the church and how they loved the, the Lili people and how good they were to them. So it's lovely to see them uh, being used of God in that way. I'm going to finish now. Our t- oh, that our time. Goodness, you talked a long, long time, Betty. <laughs> Um, but you've got to hear this story now. This is a Sita. This is a Sita Lari. This, this young fellow. Yeah, the, the young guy who went out to high school. Okay, so, but I want to talk about uh, Uni. Uni is the is the the girl in the picture. He's he's now his wife. But um, you're jumping ahead in the story, love. <laughs> uh, she lived on this island of Obi. No, so I get. Oh no! What have I done? Yeah, um, that, you can see Obi Island down there. And we Lili up there. and Lili's up the top where we were. The um, after we moved out of the tribe and were involved in leadership, a young American anthropologist by the name of Chris Duncan moved into Lili and did his research because he wanted to know why these people had become Christians after so for so many generations being vehemently opposed to having any connection with the church. And, and actually, as Betty said, he was the one that documented about, about the killing of the, uh, of the family that came down. And, um, and so he's written a paper on what, why he thinks they, they uh, turned to Christianity. 
through our evangelistic efforts and resisted the others, which is a very interesting paper. But anyway, he found out that down on Obi Island, there's Bahasa Tobalo speakers of the same language that up there in Tobalo and Lili area speak. And he wanted to know how the language got down there because right down these coast, that coastline is uh, there's so many languages, different language groups. And so anyway, he went down to Obi to do some research and he meets Uni as one of his um, research helpers. And she, she, in the process of talking, she tells him that she's a Christian, but she said, but I don't understand the Bible. And actually, I don't get much out of church at all. I don't understand what it's all about. But I want to know God. So Chris Duncan is, is, is not a Christian. And, and he, yeah. And the amazing thing is, he says to her, Uni, if you want to know God, you need to go to Lili. Because in Lili, they will not only clearly teach you the Bible, but they will teach it in your own language in the heart language. And so Uni gets on a boat in, with, her at, with her sister in Obi. They travel about a 14-hour boat right up to where you can see that top aeroplane, a place called Ternate. Then from Ternate, they go around the top of the island to Tobelo. That's about another 14-hour trip. And then about another 11 hours to Lili. They get to Lili. The church embrace it, take them in, and they teach us through the, the meta-narrative of the Bible and, and teach her about God and creation and, 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 and the mess that we're in because we've transgressed his law and rebelled against him. And then the provision, though, of the one who can get her out of that mess and has done that 2,000 years ago and is coming back again and is coming back again for us. Uni becomes a believer and pals up with, with uh, Sita, or Seth as he's now called, because they had to change their names when they went out to high school because they didn't want them. Australia in America is not a good name <laughs> if you're living in Indonesia. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they get married. They go off to that training centre in Manado, and now they're back and they're having ministry amongst all the youth. And the youth need need help because now with the internet there's a lot of good stuff coming but there's a lot of bad stuff as well and they've gone from jungle living to that in 40 years wow. we've had a little bit more time to adjust yeah. yeah anyway so look this is the, what you've been a part of guys you're going to meet these people in heaven yeah and um yeah we just want to say that this is what it's about, declaring his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all people. And uh, it has been the most wonderful privilege to be involved in that. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the sacrifice, the love, the hard work that you guys have put in, uh, in helping us do that. And, you know, our rewards for that are eternal. And we, we just thank God for you, but we especially thank him for the wonderful God he is and the way he has taken such incredible care of us and our kids. Over 40 plus years. And the way he's taking care of those people too in there. So thank you.
So um, I'm going to ask Short and Anne, uh, uh, Betty, just come here. Um, we're going to do a few things right now. Um, what I need to say on behalf of all of us here to both these beautiful couples um, is today is about honouring heroes of our faith. Now, what's really interesting in our world today that the heroes of our faith tend to be one of three kinds of leaders. Uh, Worship leaders, leaders of churches, and teachers. Where are the heroes of evangelism, of missionaries, and discipleship? What we have before us are people who had this, where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, gripped their hearts so much and changed their life so much they could not live another day without people who did not have the opportunity to hear that good news, hearing about it both in Africa and in Southeast Asia. And we've heard stories today of their deep burning conviction of the one who saved their soul uh, being present with them to help others hear that good news message. And so our mission as a church is disciples making disciples and both these missionaries, uh, couples, have actually carried the same heart and same mission throughout their whole life. And the fact that we have 90 years of ministry and ongoing, it doesn't stop here. Today is just a celebration moment. And I just want to encourage us all. There were times in both these couples' lives where God spoke to them and said, will you, the, the walnut moments, will you allow me to use your life to share the good news with others? Uh, I like what Paul said to Timothy about, you know, uh, follow my example in my conduct, in my speech, in, in my faith, in my purity. And he, what he was first was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus had radically changed his life. And, he's, and then Paul realised that as Jesus had changed his life, he was to be present with others and he was allowed the change in him to be seen by others. And that's what disciple making is. And, um, and then, you, then there's leaders, leaders who recognise they have a gift to raise up disciples and to raise up disciple makers and to raise up leaders. And that's what uh, we as a church really want to have a, have a burning passion to send out more. So someone sitting here today, God is tapping you on the shoulder and he wants you to know this. You are not born again simply just to enter the kingdom of God. You are born to be a part of the kingdom now. And that kingdom is going to all nations and it's baptising people. It's sharing the good news and baptising people. It's teaching others to obey Jesus until he comes back. So, so God is saying you can keep living your life as a Christian and you can keep living your life faithfully to me, but I've got a calling on your life, and that is a destiny where I will fill your, fill your life with my spirit, and you'll be my witnesses wherever you go, and you will make disciples. I think that we need to recapture that passion that we see in these couples. We need to, to recapture that com great commission that Jesus has said, would you lay down your life for that? Will you go wherever I send you? And uh, I just want to pray for you first before we pray and celebrate this couple. And um, actually, I'm going to ask John and Shaw to pray for you, um, for you uh, right now and um, so that you might uh, get the blessing from them 
that you might catch the fire from them. So John and then Sean. Father, we, we know that you have a heart for the world and we know that there are three billion people who are either unreached yet or unengaged. So many don't know you, don't know anything of you and need to hear that wonderful liberating message of, of, of hope that, that your word will bring to them. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, as I remember Betty thinking, well, if there's people that don't know the thing that has transformed my life, should we go? Should we go? And should we be willing to go? And Lord, that's our prayer, that there would be people here that would unclench that, that uh, grip on, on controlling their lives and say, God, I want you to control it. I want you in the driver's seat. You show me where you'd have me serve, how you'd have me serve. I just want to follow your will and be your servant and love serving you all the way. There'll be hard times, but we, we know your grace is sufficient. And um, so, Lord, I just commit this congregation and again, just thank you so much for them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for this church family and for all our brothers and sisters who are here today. You see into our hearts and you see the desire we have to honour you. And thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for each and every one, whether it be to reach across the street or across the world or across to the desk beside us in the workplace or in the school. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you place us in positions where you want us to be your witnesses, your, your agents in that situation. And thank you, Lord, too, that you enable us as we grow in you to be able to help others, to reach out to others, to invest in others. And as a church, we say we're all about making disciples who make disciples, but Lord, help us to do it better. Help us to do it more and pray that more of us will be more among us will be committed to that, to be looking for those in whom they can invest, those that they can mentor, those that they can disciple, who they can reach out to. And what you've planted in our hearts, we can then pass on to others. We can invest in others' lives. So, Father, may there be among us today those who are prepared to say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. And Lord, that, that, that from that point on, that you will lead step by step into commitment to, to outreach and ministry and in discipling and investing in others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we'd like to honour you with a number of things to today. Um, so we're, um, we've got some flowers for our ladies just to say uh, thank you for, for being a blessing to us. And, um, and we've got a cake that's going to come down. And oh, here it comes. Oh, this is the cake you're going to get to eat. Yeah. 
aqui. And it says, 90 years of faithful service. All right, so um, do we have a knife? <laughs> this, is like, this is like getting married. Excuse me, I'm taking a photo. Yeah, yeah, take a photo. Well, yeah. yeah, we turn it around. Hundred and eighty years of service. I think we should acknowledge these ladies as making. If 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 we had two two men that went out and did it, we just need to we just need to say this is hundred and eighty years of service that these guys have done, and we want to honour you, all four of you. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege to serve you from my perspective. So for those of you who don't know, Barbara and Lindsay were our. Yes, we'll get that. We're going to get that with the, the cutting of the knife. Oh, oh, you're very serious about those things. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so we're going to get... Uh, so you two, um, put your flowers down for a minute and then we, you couples can come and cut the... the uh, I'm going to get out of the road. So both put your hand on each other. Don't stab each other. All right, and... Um, you ready? You like that hold, holding hands like you wouldn't. Uh, all right, and all right, and then look at the camera. We should get them to kiss just like they do. Yeah, there you. All right, so we got some. Um, we do have cards, and I'm not going to give them to them now, but um, we have two separate cards which we'll leave with the Tagoodle book uh, up the back. If you haven't had a chance, we've been having these cards signed by people over the last couple of weeks. So if you haven't had a chance to sign their cards, there's one for, there's actually a couple of cards there for each of them, so you can sign your love and best wishes. And finally, um, we're going to take up a love offering now, but... Um, if you would like to make an electronic love offering, then you can do that through the FPOS machine or you could go to our website and down the bottom of the homepage on our website is the bank details for New Heart and you can put in gift for uh, John and Betty and Short and Ann and we're going to bless them. Um, one of the things uh, I'll finally say is that um, both these couples have lived sacrificially. Uh, they, they have not been people who wanted to be on a pedestal and they've not been wanted to be in the limelight. This has been hard for them. Um, to What they were not doing is boasting. What they were dealing is just simply telling you their story of what Jesus has done in them. And they're excited about what they're seeing God continuing to do with the seed that they planted. And we honour you both. I believe that the church is... Uh, we're in, we've got days, days and times where leaders in the church right, are finishing badly. And we've heard about those leaders finishing badly over the last couple of years. Isn't it great? To be, and you know, leaders can fail. We understand that. These two couples are not perfect. But we, we're just so grateful that they've finished well. 
And it is such an honour and a privilege to have served with you and to have known you and to be able to take this time to go, yes, Jesus, all glory and honour and praise to you and you've done a great thing in them. Isn't that awesome? I want you like to uh, stand and give thanks to God and to them for their service. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm just going to, um, we're just going to pray a blessing over you guys. There's not very much space down the front. So we'll just um, just be careful of that cardboard on the way out because it could knock the cake off. <laughs> and that would be terrible. Uh, we're grateful for the, the ladies that brought morning tea. We've got a team of people doing a barbecue, so we've got an early lunch. We're really grateful for that. Or well, it's probably brunch, isn't it? Um, but let's just pray. Would you extend your hands out to them? Because remember, they are not retiring. They are retreading. Okay, and they've got a new mission. The mission is to, to, to spend the rest of their years with the capacity and the gifting and the calling of God that does not get taken off their life to continue to serve their Lord Jesus until they have no more breath. All right? And we want that to be fruitful and we want that to be uh, ongoing. So, Lord God, they're retiring from their roles in their mission organisations that they've served faithfully in all those years but lord we recognize that they are still disciple and still disciple makers they're people who's where the passion of your good news continues to burn in their hearts and the work of the spirit continues to be upon them and lord jesus we pray for fresh fire to fall upon them we pray, Lord, that you would anoint them yet again for even more. Lord, that they would be able to be a blessing to their children and their grandchildren. Lord Jesus, that they will be a blessing to the churches which they belong. And Lord, that they will continue to be mentors and blessings to those they disciple. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are able to use people into their hundreds of years, like you used Abraham and Sarah, Lord Jesus. You used Caleb into his 80s still to be a fighting warrior, Lord. Lord, we pray that the same spirit that was upon Caleb would remain on them both, that they would be able to say, even to the day they, they, they die, that the Lord's strength has been upon me and has allowed me to be fruitful all the days of my life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for them. We honour them and we say thank you for the privilege of being in partnership with them all these years. We consider ourselves to be part of the journey that they are on and those people, those people, those dear people in Indonesia and those dear people in Africa, Lord Jesus, that through them we were part of sharing the gospel with them. Lord, we consider that to be an honour far beyond that we could even imagine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are so good and we love serving you. Lord, we want to love you till the day we die. Lord Jesus, let us be fruitful in, our, in serving you in the way we live our lives, that we might emulate and copy the example of faith set before us. Lord, that we might be, be continually challenged by their conduct, by what they've done, 
by the way they did it, Lord, their speech, the way that they've gone about their lives, Lord Jesus, their faith and their purity and their pursuit of you. Lord, we want to be like that. We want to use the example you placed in them to be um, in us, Lord Jesus. So thank you for this day and thank you that you've been with us. Amen. Oh, yes, and the love offering will be available. Oh, yes, as you exit, um, there will be baskets here at the back where you can place your love offering. God bless you. Have a great day. Go and say hello to somebody. Go and welcome somebody. Go and enjoy your morning tea together.